the views from on top are unrivaled and something that you cannot experience until you climb it. You're looking down on everything. There is nothing you can see from the top of Mount Rainier that is higher than you are. And nothing, nothing beats that experience. Welcome to Experiences You Should Have, your how-to guide for amazing experiences. I'm your host, Gail Manasco, and today we are going on an adventure. I met Chris Tucker um, just recently, right after he climbed Mount Rainier, which Mount Rainier is a very tall mountain, uh, 14,410 feet. Uh, It's the tallest peak in Washington state, and it's about two and a half hours southeast of Seattle. And Chris and his climbing partner, Mark, just summited Rainier, which is a very technical climb. And we're in a new era right now. Um, we're in the midst of coronavirus and we're, we're doing things to maybe stay away from people or do things more out in nature. And this is a climb. This is, this is a bucket list goal, I feel like, for a lot of people is to climb Mount Rainier. And I really wanted to to learn the how-to. How could someone go and do this? And there always is a way. There's always a way to to get in there and have that adventure and to try to do it as safe as possible. Um, So I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Uh, Let's get to the interview with Chris Tucker on climbing Mount Rainier. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. This is so exciting. Thank you, Gail. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So you just did an epic adventure of climbing Mount Rainier in Washington. Yeah, my feet have not forgiven me for it yet. But yeah, (laughs) epic is pretty much the right word. That's really exciting. Uh, So I'd love for our listeners to really understand the backstory of why you were climbing Mount Rainier. Sure. Um, So about a decade ago, uh, my friend Mark, who I climbed Rainier with uh, about 10 days ago, um, he and I sat down for beer and he went, I've got this really dumb idea. (laughs) Um, And, you know, like all of Mark's ideas, they're pretty dumb. And so I was like, oh, nothing new there. Um, He said, we're going to climb the highest point in every state. And I'm like, why on earth would we want to do that? (laughs) And he said, because, well, we can, and because it's a thing where we can get together every now and then, and your wife won't mind if we go and do it. Um, And I couldn't actually defeat his logic on any of this, and I did ask my wife, and she said, that's totally fine. Um, And so we just started to get together, you know, two or three times a year, and journey to the back of beyond in various states, uh, starting with attempting Arizona, uh, which we failed, and then <laughs> actually succeeding getting up uh, Guadalupe in Texas. Uh, and it was like, okay, 
Well, we kind of got into it and we climbed a few peaks and, you know, Rainier is the highest point in the state of Washington at 14,400 and something feet high. Um, And I was like, okay, that's one of the toughest ones on the list. Let's go do it. All right. So that was kind of how the, uh, how the adventure was born. I love it. So how many attempts did it take to actually climb Rainier? Three. Um, I basically have sat at Camp Muir, which for those who don't know, is around about halfway. Um, The climb kind of divides equally into a four and a half thousand foot climb from Paradise, Washington up to Camp Muir where there's essentially a safe place where everyone can camp and there's a couple of shelters where if you're paying or lucky, you can you can stay. And so I've camped up at Camp Muir a total of three times. Um, the first time I was learning to climb and I did a, a skill seminar up there for four days, never saw the top. It snowed all the time and we came right back down again. Um, The second time we got to Camp Muir again, the weather came down um, and our climbing, we were in a team of four and the other two were beyond exhausted. And so we had to come down again anyway. And then this time, so this was the third time and third time was jump. Wow. So How long was it in between the first attempt and your most recent climb of Mount Rainier? Uh, We looked back and it was 2012 that we had originally tried to climb it in, I think, February of 2012. So eight and a half years. And when did like when did you start this journey of climbing the tallest peak in each state? Uh, so that was probably 2009, April of 2009, something like that. Wow. Wow. This has been a long goal. It, it is, particularly when you consider that um, some of the people who've done it, who've tried to do it as quickly as possible. So I think uh, Melissa Arnaud has, a, has some record on it of like, 40 days or something like that. Wow. Um, and we, one of our, one of our climbing guides, uh, Mike Haggins, super nice guy. He'd done it in like, you know, 50 days and he'd taken his foot off the gas. And so he didn't, he, he didn't get to keep the record for long. And so <laughs> we've taken, well, 10, 11 years, of <laughs> but we're, we're hoping to this year. Okay. So how many more peaks do you have left? We got four more. So we four, have four more. Yeah. And so which that, which states? Uh, Bora Peak, Idaho, uh, Panorama Peak, Nebraska, sorry, Panorama Point, Nebraska, which I find it hard to believe there is a panorama in Nebraska, but you got to go touch them all. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, what's the elevation of that? Honestly, it's actually pretty high. I think it's like the 22nd on the list or something like that. It's about oh, wow. five and a half thousand feet. It's okay. right on the border. You could literally throw a stone from the top of Panorama Point into Colorado. Okay. Um, but there's you can drive to the top. You get out of your car, stumble out, take a picture, you know, do All whatever right. you want to do, and then get yeah. back in the car and drive away. Uh, you just have to go there. Um, okay. And anyway, there's, then there's Black Elk Peak, um, South Dakota. Um, and then finally, we're going to try and finish on Granite Peak, Montana, which is easily the toughest of the four left. 
Wow. Okay, so when is all that going to happen? Uh, TBD. Hopefully okay. later this year. Um, going to depend on weather and careers and, you know, sure, sure. stuff. But we're going to make an attempt on it this year. Would you try to con- attempt all four peaks in the same trip? Yep. Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, a, a part of the challenge, and one challenge and also the beauty of this whole thing is that you have to get there. You know, about half of the states, you can literally drive to the top, as I've said. Right. The problem is that they're not anywhere where you might expect to find things. Um, So, you know, you end up driving six hours from one high point to another high point. And, you know, it's like, where are we? I don't know, but we're going to find out all these (laughs) wonderful things about, you know, I'd never have gone to Arkansas or Oklahoma or Idaho. I've no no reason to go to the places that I'm going, except for the fact that there's a mountain there. Right. And there's also a slice of Americana on the way. Um, You know, so been to Roswell, New Mexico. Wouldn't ever have gone to Roswell. Did you see an alien in Roswell? we saw aliens. We saw tons of aliens. (laughs) Anybody who goes to Roswell knows they're all over the place. But oh, you yeah. never, but you'd never see them. You'd never have gone to Roswell because it's so far out of the way of anything. That, <laughs> you know, it's not worth the trip on its own. But when you're on the way, it's like, oh, hang on. <laughs> we could stop. We could like divert half an hour out of the way and go to Roswell. And it's totally worth it. <laughs> we had lunch there. We went to the Alien Museum. It's great fun. Oh, I love it. That is so cool. Do you believe in aliens? Mathematically speaking, I think it's almost certain that there are aliens. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. And you're a bit of a mathematician, right? I have an undergraduate degree in mathematics from the University oh. of Cambridge. So, yes. So, I'd, I'd be willing to bet on your hypothesis then. There's all sorts of theories on why we have not made contact with aliens yet. Mm. And many of them are plausible. Um, one particular favorite of mine is who on earth would want to talk to human beings? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But there's plenty of other ones out there about the vanishingly small number of, you know, intelligent species in a vastness of space. So it's difficult to imagine that we would actually ever have done so. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, let's, let's get back to Rainier. We, we are yeah. um, we are climbing Rainier today. So it took you three attempts to climb Rainier. Yep. And you just climbed Rainier 10 days ago. Something like Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And let's just take our listeners there. Take, take us on the climb and describe the experience of climbing Rainier. Sure. Um, so as I've mentioned, it kind of breaks down into two pieces. Right. There's the non-technical lower section where you cart your gear up to, so you can basically go camping at 10,000 feet. Um, now, those who are familiar with backpacking, it's a very similar idea. You are you load up your tent, you load up your stove, your camping pad, your sleeping bag, and you just have to bear in mind that all of these things are over-specced based on what you're used to. So if you're used to camping in the woods, you've probably got a sleeping bag that's rated down to about freezing or a little below. Um, you've got a tent that won't that would blow down if a stiff breeze came by, but it never does because you're in the woods. Um, mm-hmm. And none of these things are true. 
when you're up in the mountains. So you're at 10,000 feet, you get easily get winds of 30, 40 miles an hour. And so your wow. tent has to be designed accordingly. And so it weighs a lot more. Um, and your sleeping bag needs to keep you warm in temperatures of, you know, 20 below. And so it weighs a lot more. Uh, and so you start to add all these things up. And then you add the the rope, the crampons, the climbing boots, the safety gear, um, the ice axe that you need. And suddenly you're, ca- you're carrying, you know, 45 pounds or 20 kilos for those who prefer that, um, the metric system, uh, you're carrying a lot of weight up the mountain. And so the first four and a half hours for us were get up really early and just start walking up the hill with a very heavy pack on. Mm-hmm. Um, and having done this bit three times now, it, 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 you know, the first two times had taught us that it's nothing more than a, you know, just left foot, right foot get up the hill when you're there, you're there. And until you're there, just keep moving. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you get probably a halfway on, you know, regular footpaths. And then you're crossing what's called the John Muir snowfield, um, which is just a a permanent feature where it's, uh, there's 24, sorry, 24 hours. No, there's 12 months a year, there's snow. Um, <laughs> there's snow on the ground. And so you just start walking up the snow. Um, but you don't need crampons. You don't need safety gear. You just need to walk up the snow. And so we eventually got to um, we got to the top after about four and a half hours. Totally pooped. <laughs> <laughs> Put the tent up, had some food, and sat down for a bit, right? Because there's nothing to do. And you're there at you know lunchtime and... All you're doing is what is known as sport eating until it's time to go again. Wow. So, so yeah, so that was kind of the first, the first day that was Saturday and we just yeah. sat around and, um, you know, the ranger comes by and checks your paperwork because everybody needs a climbing permit. Um, <laughs> and turns out that the ranger is one of the, um, was the lead guide on the first, um, the first, uh, climb we did. So the person who is responsible for teaching us to climb Rainier is now checking our paperwork to making sure to make sure we're allowed to climb Rainier. Wow! Uh, the guy's name's Seth Waterfall. He says, "Hi, I'm Seth." He's like, "Yeah, I know you're Seth Waterfall, right?" <laughs> <laughs> it was a really nice moment because you know, it's like the, the circle completes. He's taught us what we need to know, and now he's just you know making sure we're okay and know what we're doing. Right. Off we go. Cool. So, so that was cool, and I actually said hi to him on the way back down and thanked him once we once we'd summited. Um, so it was kind of a it was a fun moment. Yeah. Um, but then essentially, you know, you have dinner after a while. The sun goes down. You settle into bed real early because you know most parties will choose to depart for the summit between midnight and two a.m. Um, which no, is not why then? <laughs> Right. Very good question. It is not my favorite part of uh, mountaineering, I have to say. The alpine start is, uh, it goes against every fiber in my being. Um, but the, there is a rationale for it. Um, in Rain- On Rainier in particular, you're in um, rather and rather high risk of uh, rockfall and snowfall. And these typically happen when snow and ice melts. Uh, which happens a lot more when the sun is up and a lot less when it is dark. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot safer, particularly in certain pieces where the objective hazard, as we call it, is a lot higher 
um, to get it done at night. And so you, we got up at 1 a.m. We were almost the last party out when we left at 2 a.m. Um, wow. And we yeah, moved on up the mountain as quick as we could to get out of the risky section before, um, before anything started to fall on our heads. Whew. So... So how year. long did that take from what from the time you left to the time you summited? Um, it took about seven hours. Wow. Um, uh, the good news about the upper side of the mountain is that you get to leave a lot of the gear behind. So that big heavy pack that you started out with has now dwindled significantly. And most of the weight you're carrying is either on your climbing harness in terms of the safety gear or in your hand in terms of your ice axe or on your feet in forms of uh, mountaineering boots and crampons. The real weight is in your pack is, you know, a little bit of warm weather gear and a lot of water. Um, and you basically walk very slowly up the mountain because you're starting at 10,000 feet. I'm Ooh. a flatlander. I'm recording this from Sacramento where the elevation is 15 feet above sea level. <laughs> um, my house is a little higher than that, so I'm at more like 25 feet above sea level. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so I'm not used to the altitude. And so it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. And it's one of the things that gets a lot of people into trouble. And a lot of people who got up before we did were turning around because they'd moved too quickly or they weren't used to altitude. And we passed at least four parties going the other way who had not made it. Wow. Um, and you know, fair play to them. They turned around. Right. You know, it, it's it's a, it's a big thing to turn around before you get into trouble, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I've turned around a dozen times on mountains, and there's no shame in it at all. It's point actually for me and Mark. It's a point of pride. Yeah, we turn around mm-hmm. because we should turn around. The people you read about are the people who didn't turn around and then couldn't get back down safely. Got right? it. So right. just, just, just think about that one for a while. If you, if you are done, you have to go. You When you get to the top, you still have another six hours to go to get back down again. So <laughs> don't <laughs> think that just because you got to the top, you're okay. No, you now have the most problem you've had all day. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like the- right. Yeah. A helicopter isn't just going to stop by and pick you up at the top. It's not. And I, I don't know that it even could. Um, you know, readers will probably correct me on this, but I'm not sure that you could get helicoptered off the mountain at 14,000 feet. Mm. So, um, you get to walk down and you get to put a lot of other people's lives in risk by having to accompany you down and having to wait while you walk down. And it's not, it's not good practice. Mm-hmm. You know, keep mm-hmm. the energy for coming back. As right. it was, we, we, we went, we went up just fine. Um, you know, it was a slow and steady move. Um, the trail was well established. Uh, we got to the top and the top is actually kind of this, cause it's a volcano. There's a crater at the top and we just kind of sat in the crater for a little while and, um, had some lunch. Um, I had a very nice meal from, um, food for the soul. It's a little bend business, um, uh, from, uh, your, your hometown there. Oh. Um, made a like really nice little cold soaked meal that I've just, Shoved in my face as quick as I could. <laughs> Got back to calories, of which I was burning a ferocious amount. And then we rode back up and came back down again. 
you know it's and it's it's just one of those you know why do you climb it then if all you're going to do is come back down and all i can tell you is that the views from on top are unrivaled and something that you cannot experience until you climb it you know you're looking down on everything there is nothing you can see from the top of mount rainier that is higher than you are you know seattle is a little blip you know mount adams is you know a couple of thousand feet shorter and is over there you can see saint helens you can see a long way but you cannot see anything that is higher than you are everything is below and nothing nothing beats that experience mm. that is beautifully said that is absolutely beautifully said and so when you're up there in the ice and snow, you mentioned you have ropes, you have ice picks. I mean, what what is that like, essentially? Um, well, technically, it's an ice axe. The pick is oh. the bit on the end of the ice axe, oh, uh, okay. which you kind of use. Um, it's also what you use for breaking big blocks of ice that are in your freezer. Um, mm-hmm. But a mountaineering ice axe is uh, you know usually about 50 centimeters long, Um and is designed to save your life if you slip, right? Mm. You are on a crevasse, sorry, you're on a glacier and around you are huge cracks in the ice Mm -hmm. Uh, because the ice, as it turns out, flows downhill. So it snows up on top, forms ice, and then Mm -hmm. the pressure of the snow that forms above causes this glacial, essentially a river of ice to go down the mountain. Um, But because it has to go around bends and over, uh, convex rollovers and so on and so forth, the ice cracks as it does this because it doesn't flow like regular water does because it's frozen. And the cracks are very, very, very deep. Um, and if you fall into one, you're going to have a real hard time getting back out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the real reason that we rope up is because we're mostly afraid of falling into the mountain. We're less, way less afraid of falling off the mountain in, mm-hmm. this, in this particular context. It's, it's different to how rock climbers worry about it. Rock climbers are worried about falling off the mountain. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about slipping or a snow bridge collapsing or whatever, and I'm going into a crevasse, and then it's my buddy's job and duty to fall to the ground, kick his feet in, get his ice axe driven into the ground, and self-arrest so as to catch me. Got it. And then we can figure out how to get me out, right? Which mm-hmm. is you know, climb up the rope, and you know, or he can haul me out if there's a problem. Um, all things that you can learn how to do. But, you know, you see people on their own. It's like, if you slip, you are done. Nobody is going to even know. Right. You know, unless somebody sees you fall into a crevasse, they wouldn't even know you're down there. Because uh-huh. you can be 100 feet down at the bottom of that crack, and that's that's where you end up. Right. right? And there's, wow. plenty of, there's plenty of people who are interred on the side of Mount Rainier um, for one unfortunate reason or another. Mm-hmm. and it's you know you do what you can to to prevent that right and that's why you carry all the safety gear and that's why your pack weighs so much on the way up uh, so sorry, that's the other reason your pack weighs so much is because you need the key the stuff to keep you safe huh. um and learning about that is critical to anybody who wants to consider going up there right yeah so are you and mark attached to each other with a rope yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I apologize. I'm not a mountain Yes, climber. you wear a, you wear a climbing harness much like anybody would do in a rock climbing gym. They right. have a similar function. 
Yeah. Um, they're a little lighter. Um, they don't quite, you know, perform the same way in terms of comfort. But you're not going to be hanging off it ever. Mm-hmm. In, an, in the ideal world, you would never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only thing you're doing mm-hmm. is you're wearing it. Um, and then you you clip your uh, rope. You tie your rope into the to the main belay loop on your on your harness. And wow. um, the rope used probably was it about thirty feet of rope between me and Mark mm-hmm. um, as we go up the mountain. Wow! I mean, what an experience! I mean, I feel like that's like the peak of adventure. Of it climbing. is, and, and at the same time, you kind of like you know, this is actually relatively normal when you get into it. And there's bits, but there's bits on the climb where it's like, okay, we need to be a little careful here. <laughs> there's an enormous crack down there it's very narrow where we are and you know we had one moment where we were trying to pass another party coming down uh-huh. and we're just looking down we're on a 45 degree slope looking down to the right thinking that's one of those crevasses i was telling you about it's just down there uh how do we get past this other group um and so we had a uh what we call a fixed uh fixed protection um so we put a put a picket it was a basically about a two foot long piece of aluminium you hammer it into the snow uh-huh. and then you can clip into the top of it and it's not going anywhere and right. so the rope is clipped into the picket and we are attached to the rope and so right. if either of us falls all that's going to happen is we're going to be hanging off this picket looking foolish and <laughs> we're going to stand back up climb back up to where we were and go okay well good job we put the picket in right yeah and so we drove the picket in and then hung on we basically moved down a couple of feet off the trail onto this very dicey little area where we could just, you know, stand for a few minutes and while this other party came through yeah. and then you pull your picket back out and keep going up the hill. So you can kind of protect yourself in this sort of a way that, you know, you, you're attaching yourself to the mountain uh-huh. temporarily in the same way that a rock climber would put in a, uh, would put in a cam or something into a crack. Got it. Now, when you summited, uh, do you have uh, maybe a tradition you do? Is there like some type of dance or a handshake or like, <laughs> <laughs> we, like what um, happens at the top? Yeah, what happens at the top really depends a little bit on the top. Most summits we've had a beer. I will, I will fully admit this. We'll get to the top, we'll drink a beer, and then we'll come back down again. Um, we always take a selfie. So there's a collection now somewhere out there of 46 selfies on various uh, summits. Um, but this one, we did not drink a beer because it's dangerous coming back down again. That was not on the card. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And although there were plenty of people up there who were having a can of, well, you guessed it, Rainier beer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, good one, guys. I'm still not drinking. I'm going back down. Um, and um, the selfie was very brief because the wind was over 30 miles an hour and it was kind of cold. Okay. And the fingers weren't exactly doing what they should have been doing, which is huddling in a glove. And so it was like, quick, <laughs> selfie, done. Okay, let's get back off here. Okay, got it. All right. So no big dance party. No, and sometimes there's a summit register, but I didn't see one up there. Um, yeah. So you can sometimes sign the list of all the people who've climbed, but I didn't see one up there. So Yeah, wow. So coming back down, what is that like? Honestly, it's scary. You know, this is, this is the bit where the rubber meets the road um, because you're tired 
and you can see what you're doing. If you imagine climbing a ladder going up, mm -hmm. right? Climbing a yeah. ladder going up is like you're, you can hold on to the ladder. It's relatively relatively secure feeling, right? right? You hope that somebody's right. flipping the ladder, but you can climb up and hold on. When you climb back down a ladder, you keep your toes in and you just work your way back the way you came. But there's no way from a practical standpoint to do that descending a mountain. So you have to turn and face. So you're going to walk down this mountain forwards down a 45 degree slope. And you can see everything. You can see down to the where the Wonderland Trail, Wonderland Trail goes around Mount Rainier, which goes around about three and a half thousand feet. So I can see a drop of 10,000 feet in front of me. You know, I can see the, the seracs around. I can see the crevasses in the ice. I can see everything. And it's a lot more real coming down than it is going up. Um, and you're tired and you're trying very hard to focus. And, and it, so it, it's, it's not my favorite piece, I have to say. I, I, I like climbing. I don't mm -hmm. like descending. Um, some people have it the wrong way around and they say, oh, yeah, well, it's really hard going up. But coming down is fine. It's like, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's definitely going up far enough. Then you learn to enjoy the climb and dread the coming down again. It's like, you know, I just want to, you know we've, we've actually taken to, to skiing a bunch of different mountains uh, if we can, because coming down is so much nicer when you're on skis than it is when you're trying to walk. Right. So we skied down Mount Hood, uh, having skied up it. Oh, lovely. Uh, and that was a lot more fun. But Oh, yeah. It's challenging, It's but you, you keep your focus and you, you get it done and you, you get back to you get back to Camp Muir and there's the tent. And, you know, Mark had a big case of like, I want to get out of here. He's like, let's pack up and go. I'm like, you can pack up and go. I'm going to lie down for a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> I was done. I mean, we'd been on our feet for 12 hours and we just, you know, he went, yeah, fair enough. And we crawled in the tent. And we're both snoring away in five minutes, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it just took a half hour, but you get your boots off, so your feet get happy and you get some rest and you're suddenly, you're mentally alert again. And you can now, you're now equipped to do the last, you know, the last chunk, which is a couple more hours back down to the car. Got it. Um, there's no, there's no more danger. There's no danger after, once you get down to Muir uh, and plenty of people day hike Camp Muir. Um, but it's just heavy and hard work. And my feet were killing me when I got back down. And we were just, I just remember sitting in the parking lot with all our dirtbag climbing gear on, just going, I'm going to have a beer right here in the parking lot. <laughs> you know, and the, uh, you know, there's tons of tourists around taking pictures or whatever. And it's super pretty. And I, you know, that, it's a wonderful thing that they can get up there and do that. And it's like, we're like, nah, don't care. Don't need to see the mountain. Just need a beer. <laughs> <laughs> And the ranger came past and saw us and he went, how, how was it? He goes, you guys summit? He went, yep. He went, cool. Didn't care that we were drinking a beer. There's, there's no. no you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure if we'd been like tourists making a ruckus and drinking a beer, he'd have run us out of there. But it's like, right. Wow, you guys earned it. <laughs> you absolutely earned that beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love it when you can have a beer after you've truly worked hard for it you know you had that incredible day or that experience and the taste of a beer after that oh right isn't it so much nicer um, <laughs> oh yeah when you add it up and you've just done it was 36 hours parking lot to summit the parking lot for us Whew. 36 hours much of which we've been moving 
And, you know, I did a back of envelope count that said we'd burn 10,000 calories each mm-hmm. in 36 hours, mm-hmm. which is way beyond your body's ability to replace it. And right. so, you know, it was like, hey, I, I just lost I just lost two pounds in weight. Give me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, let's talk some logistics mm-hmm. for climbing Rainier. Uh, yeah. so, if, so if someone wants to attempt Rainier, essentially, I guess, like, what type of skills do they need? Uh, how much experience should they have before even attempting such a feat? It's an interesting question because there's two paths you can go down. Right? If you want to go self-guided, as we were, the answer is very different than if you want to essentially pay a guide service to take you up. Um, and there's about three different guide services. There's RMI that we've climbed with a couple of times. Um, there's uh, IMG, International Mountain Guides, and there's, I think, the American Alpine Institute, mm-hmm. um, all of which run um, trips up the mountain You know, where there's a guide on the front and two or three climbers uh, client climbers on the same rope, um, and they'll shepherd you up. You camp at uh, Muir, and then they'll shepherd you up the mountain, shepherd you down the mountain. In order to join one of those um, groups, you can basically pay something like fourteen hundred bucks. Um, plus, you know, you got to get your gear, much of which you can rent from Whitaker Mountaineering down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. and um, certainly all the technical gear you can rent. Um, and then you're going to be taught on day one how to self-arrest, right? So how to use your ice axe to stop yourself falling off the mountain. Wow. That's like the lesson on day one. But the guide is going to make sure that your harness is doubled back, that your rope is tied in properly, that there is nothing, you're not doing anything stupid, and they're just going to get you up the mountain as best they can, you still have to burn the 10,000 calories. <laughs> <laughs> and so really it's like, you know, it, it's it, probably the all-in cost once you've got your rental gear and everything else is going to run you about two grand, maybe two and a half thousand, um, and a boatload of fitness, right? Okay. So what type of shape that. do you need to be in if you were to go up with like a um, guided group? Yeah, you've, you've, got to be you've got to be on in a position where you can be on your feet for 12 hours mm-hmm. right this is you know and and moving not moving fast but still you know moving inexorably forward and able to stay alert and mentally aware and so this translates into you know if you are a local if you do like you know local 5k or 10k runs that is not going to cut it Right, you've got to be able to go hiking for a day, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. the backpack thing, but you've got to be able to hike for a day, and you've got to be able to climb, you know, a thousand feet and not get to the top and think I'm done, right? So go for mm-hmm. a hike. Do your favorite hike, um, you know, let's say do an eight mile hike uh, with three thousand feet of climb in it, right? That's not that dissimilar to summit day which I think is probably close to eight miles and more like 5,000 feet climb, but mm-hmm. you, you can push yourself. But after eight, eight miles and 3K vert, 
How are you feeling? And if the answer is not good, then you need to go and do more training. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because you're going to have some weight on your back and you're going to be in difficult conditions and you're going to be at elevation and all of these things are going to work against you. Oh, and it's going to be cold. None of these things are happening on your favorite hike. So you need to get back from your favorite hike going, that was a good hike. Cool. What are we doing now? Not, I need to take a nap. Kill me. I'm hurting all over. That's, that's, the, that's the guidance. Okay. That. All right. That's, that's good guidance. That's really good guidance. Um, and so if, if someone were fit, they, um, they are in shape, but maybe they've never climbed a technical mountain. You know, mm-hmm. maybe they've, they've done big hikes and that sort of thing, but nothing where it required an ice axe or anything. Yeah. Could they go with a guided group? Absolutely. Or would they? Okay. okay. Yeah, because the guided group are going to teach you. Well, like, you know, and I would recommend they, some parties have like, you know, they'll have a four-day climb or a five-day climb. If you are less certain about your ability, do the longer climb because there'll be more opportunity to learn and refresh those skills, okay. right? The four-day climb is essentially you arrive on day one and you do a quick refresher on this stuff. And, you know, you'll practice again on the way up. And then you're on the mountain on day three and coming back down on day four, right? I mean, that that's that there's not a lot of time to really get this knowledge to be, you know, kind of a natural thing, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, and when, when somebody on your rope yells falling, you've got to be in self-arrest in a split second or you're going to be falling too, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And in order to get to that point, you need to practice it, right? And that's all it is. It's just practice. And it's a right. skill like any other. And it's not that difficult a skill. To be quite frank, it's not that hard. As long as you learn it. And as long as you, you know, refresh it in every beginning of every season, you hurl yourself to the ground a couple more times. Mm-hmm. You know, and just get back into it. And so, you know, do a lot, do a slightly longer climb if you're uncomfortable with it. Um, you know, reality is that the guides are there to protect you, but they're not infallible. And they've got to be able to stop a team of three people falling off a mountain all of whom mm-hmm. aren't are going to potentially fail to self-arrest properly. And that's not a guarantee. So it really helps to have, you know, <laughs> to have the ability to protect yourself um, because you protect yourself, you protect your team. Um, and that's really kind of what you want to be practicing. Got you know, it. The rest of the skills are, you know, the guide is going to take you through and it's going to, you know, do most of the work, most of the thought work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but self-arrest is something that you absolutely have to know. Okay. And you mentioned that you had a permit to climb. If if you go with uh, one of these groups, um, would they essentially get the permit for you, or do you need yeah. to get that in advance? Yeah, so they'll they'll do they'll do the hard work on that front for you, okay. right? That's included in your you know fourteen hundred bucks or whatever. Um, right. Uh, if you're climbing on your own, the you need two things. One is a reservation, a campground reservation essentially, uh, which you get through the park service, um, for Rainier. So nps.gov slash R-A-I-N. Um, they have on there, here's when you can camp at Mount Rainier, mm-hmm. uh, in Camp Muir, sorry. Um, and much like, you know, if you wanted to make a reservation to go and do the Wonderland, Wonderland Trail, or if you wanted to go and camp at uh, Little Yosemite Valley or anywhere else in the country, there's a reservation. <laughs> Right. You know, you make your reservation, you get your um, get your campground permit. You also need a climbing permit. 
um, which basically says, yes, I wish to go on a glacier. And this is the difference between a day hiker who cannot go higher than Camp Muir uh, and a climber who is now allowed on the glacier that starts right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a, it's kind of a group insurance policy that says we're going to have to rescue a bunch of people and you need to pay us $51 because it might be you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we very much hope that it's not. And if we have to rescue one climber in a hundred, then, you know, it's $5,000 per climber we rescue. That makes sense to everybody. Right. Right. And so that's, and it's, it's fine. It's like, you know, I don't want it to be me either. <laughs> I will right. do my level best not to spend that uh, $51. I would just want it to go into the pool and have it used on somebody else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's, yeah. that's the other piece that you need. Now, when is the best time of year, uh, maybe for the best weather windows and that sort of thing, to climb Rainier? You will get a lot of different answers to that question. Okay. Um, and the reality is that the season is now basically over. Um, you could probably still climb it, um, give it another week or two, and it's not going to be easy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens on the upper mountain uh, is that the when the snow melts, uh, all of the crevasses become exposed. So in February, you can't see the crevasses because they're all full of snow. And you can happily walk over them. You don't even know they're there half the time. But you can't fall in because it's already chock full of snow, right? right? The downside of February is it's freezing cold. The weather is lousy. And, um, you know, the snow is very deep and nobody else is climbing. So you have to break trail. You have to um, deal with the fact that visibility and wind and precipitation and the avalanche risk is going to be way high. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's when we climbed. That's actually the first time we went up was in February, um, and we didn't get sight of summit. Um, and so most people consider the climbing window to be about the end of April to about now, uh, which, if you're listening later, is the middle of August. All uh, right, and. The only other thing that I would say on this one, if you're not going with a guide service, if you're going to do it on your own, um, the best advice I have on a successful summit is to have not one day that you could possibly summit, but three or four days that you could possibly summit. Because you're going to arrive, you know, if you're coming from Seattle, you can just go, hey, man, the weather's terrible. We're not going. Right. If you're coming from, you know, DC or you know, Dallas or, you know, somewhere where it's a journey to get there, you're going to arrive and you're going to find out the weather is terrible for two days and you're going to sit in the bunkhouse at the bottom of the mountain and go, man, this sucks. Yeah, (laughs) right. It doesn't suck anywhere near as much as getting there. And if you only had one day and there was, it was snowing that day and you couldn't do it, it's like, no, forget it. Mm -hmm. If you have four days that it's possible, then, hey, well, you sit in the bunkhouse and have a beer for a couple of days. Right. And then the third day, the sun comes out and you go climb the mountain. Right. right? So, yeah. so give it give it the time. And, you know, the, the, the local climbers who I've, who I've climbed with and met, you know, are just like, yeah, if it's, if it's a bad day, we don't even go to the mountain. Right. And, you know, that's, that's how you get around that problem is give yourself a bigger window. Right. Now – what about maybe people with limited mobility or maybe they're looking for uh, an accessible adventure on Mount Rainier? Are there accessible parts of Rainier that, that people could go to? 
Absolutely. Yes, there are. Um, although, you know, much like everything else with Rainier, there's some, it, it's not easy accessible, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I mean by this is that there is a paved trail that'll get you up about a thousand feet, maybe a little more above Paradise. Paradise is kind of the base of the mountain. Um, and you can get up and there's some wonderful views on this trail. Uh, and so, you know, if you have a, you know, um, a wheelchair or, you know, if you otherwise find it difficult to walk on, you know, rocky, broken trail, there's a paved trail. It's just steep. Mm. So, you know, I don't know what, I don't, I mean, I'm not experienced in this, but if you had, you know, somebody who was willing to help or a couple of people who were willing to help push you up the hill and you could, you know, you could potentially get a good way up the mountain on, on the trail um, without, uh, without worrying about it. Um, you be, better be careful on the way down. Same sort of thing as we have. Is that the, accident, <laughs> the accidents in this case definitely happen on the way back down, not on the way yeah. up. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's right out of the parking lot. And you can get some killer views from up there. Uh, and actually one of my favorite pictures that I took or that, that Mark took at me uh, was, you know, underneath the mountain, you know, at the bottom of the glaciers, you can see them all falling down off the mountain. And I'm just sitting there having sweated bullets for the first hour or so with my pack on and that's all accessible, you know? And so it's, you know, it's one of the, one of the few, there's there's not that many bits of the park service where there are these um, paved trails that go into, that actually get into kind of a, what I would think of as a wilderness setting. Yeah. It's nice in that regard. All right. That's good to know. Really good to know. And are there any other additional dangers of Rainier that you haven't talked about? Um, the only one I would, I mean, I've mentioned avalanche risk, objective risk, crevasses. The one I really haven't mentioned is um, altitude. Uh, uh-huh. um, and, and this is one that affects everybody individually and very differently. You know, some people never notice the fact that they're up at 14,000 feet other than the fact that they get a little short of breath. Um, some people get a headache. Some people get nausea and dizziness. Um, and some people get impaired judgment and issues with breathing and issues with um, two actual life-threatening conditions, um, which are pulmonary edema and cerebral edema, which essentially mm-hmm. is water buildup on the lungs or the brain. Um, and, you know, the it pays to know the symptoms. Um, and I'm not going to go into those here because I'm not a doctor and not qualified to tell you, but mm-hmm. you know, if you have difficulty breathing, if you have difficulty assessing what is going on and you become confused or your friend more likely is you're going to figure out your friend is confused, um, mm-hmm. and not dealing well with what's going on. You got to come down. Right. Uh, it, it's the, the, the very simple solution to altitude problems is not to start popping pills. It's to descend. Mm-hmm. Right. And quickly. Right. right. And so, you know, keep the lines of communication going within your party about how you are feeling and any adverse symptoms that you will be suffering. Right. I had a little lightheadedness. I just told Mark, it's nothing, nothing major yet, but you know, just so you know, Mm-hmm. Um, and you just keep it open and mine, as it happened, went away and I got a dehydration headache on the way down, but that was distinct and different. Right. Um, but it's one thing that 
if it doesn't cause the problems on its own, it can exacerbate any other problems that are there because of the impaired judgment and the impaired physical ability that it brings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why it's that's why it's a dangerous thing to do. You know, well, it's a compounding feature on the on the danger level, along mm-hmm. with the weather and the situation right. that you already that you can already like see and look at. Wow. So not to be taken lightly, but again, when you look at the, the whole risk profile, it's you know it's the sort of thing that with training and with the right guidance and with the right rope team, you can mitigate a lot of the risk. Right. You cannot eliminate the risk. You know, you should definitely have your life insurance paid up. Um, you know, and I'm not, not joking. If you need life insurance, you should have it. Right. Right. And it's a good thing to check and you should make sure that you are, uh, you know, that if a rescue is deployed, that you have insurance for that, which you can get through the American Alpine Association. Um, they'll, you know, get $50,000 of, of evacuation, uh, insure cover through those guys. Um, and you know, your, your cell phone will probably work, but it might, pay to have a you know an in reach or a spot device that you can send up the sos if you do have a problem Mm -hmm. so that you know people know but you know it's pretty much you're going to be self-sufficient because any help that's coming is coming in many hours not five minutes (laughs) so Mm -hmm. so take care of you you know you take responsibility for your own safety not uh you know don't rely on others i think that's that's my summary of the risks, but you know, mitigatable if you uh, if you are studious and careful and thoughtful in your approach. That's good advice. Uh, are there any final tips for our listeners who maybe want to embark on this adventure? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. Um, one is to you know take regular breaks, you know, and go slowly. Go slow or go, go stupid slow. Yeah. If you go stupid slow, you will actually start to overtake people. It's funny. Huh. Um, the tortoise and, in the hair. Right. Oh, yeah. No, it's very much so. And so I was saying that they were like, we passed at least four parties coming down the other way who had raced out ahead of us. And we were still going up. They didn't yeah. make it. Wow. Guess what? Um, <laughs> we were stupid slow. <laughs> <laughs> Not kidding. We took a long time to get to the top. We took seven and a half hours to get to the top, wow. which is around about, you know, eight hours is around about turnaround time. Uh-huh. So, you know, we were we were right there. Okay. Uh, and the second one is to, you know, take your time. And from time to time, when you stop and find somewhere safe and comfortable to stop and just take it in. Because it's an amazing physical feat that you're doing. But it's an amazing uplift for the soul looking out on this place mm-hmm. and seeing something that is just breathtaking. And not because of the altitude, because it just is. You, you will not see it anywhere else. And, you know, anybody who tries to go up and come back down stupid fast missed it. Guess what? I stopped 15 minutes, took a breather, ate an energy bar and looked at this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so that would be my other my other heartfelt tip is to you know smell smell the roses oh, as it thank were. <laughs> thank you, uh, Chris. I beautifully said, uh, truly beautiful. Thank you for sharing your experience and taking us on the mountain with you today. Absolutely. 
That's and, my, my pleasure. Yeah, and maybe there will be some people out there who are planning a bucket list trip to climb Rainier, and they can use this time to get in shape. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Get get on get on the bike. Climb climb on the bike. Climb on the uh, on the on your with your running shoes on. Yeah. But just just keep climbing, as we say. All right. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. I've enjoyed it very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to Experiences You Should Have. Now, if you are inspired uh, to maybe uh, go up with a group to climb Rainier, Now is the time to be signing up for next year um, because these spots fill up. um, If you're not going to be going up and doing it on your own, maybe you're new to climbing and you're going to be working on getting in shape or you're already in shape. um, Now is the time uh, to make those reservations for 2021. If you wait too long, it might be 2022. So just a note to get on that and go get in shape and maybe go explore uh, the highest peak in your own state. You never know what you might find. Also, if you would like more information, um, please go to experiencesyoushouldhave.com. There I've got really nice show notes um, and write up and more information. So experiencesyoushouldhave.com, click on episodes and there you'll find the show notes. And finally, please share this episode with a friend family, um, maybe people you're waving to across the street, tell them to listen to experiences you should have podcasts. We are growing organically and every person you tell just helps us um, grow and get better. Thanks for listening and until our next adventure.